I'm so excited, and, and this is probably the first year that uh, for our momentum we are um, really putting all of it into, am I booming? A little bit. Maybe take me out of the fallbacks. Jess, that's okay. Thank you. Um, I'm really, uh, to really give out of ourselves because uh, we have felt so blessed this year with all that's going on and um, all the different ways that, um, that God has just poured into our church. Um, so, so, for example, there's another church that is saying if we are going to get a coffee machine, they are going to be putting $2,500 into it just because they want to be generous. So if you want a coffee machine, well, we need to actually get all the rest of the finances together and as part of it. But, you know, it's not, so that, it's not so that we can have nice coffee, but it's because we want to provide a space for people to come in and connect. We want when people come in for, for playgroup that there is a, a level of hospitality that, that, that shows we value you. You know, when we do other gatherings and meetups, it's not because we just want to uh, uh, look like we're fancy or upper class, uh, but it's because we want to be able able to, to show a level of hospitality uh, that, that people deserve. And, and so that's our heart behind the coffee machine. But I just wanted to say that uh, we, we, we didn't ask for extra cash or anything like that. But this pastor who's a friend said, you know, you've moved into a building. What's a project that we as a church can sow into? I just absolutely love that. And that's the kind of heart that I hope that we have as a church. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We've not become blessed to be hoarders. We've not been blessed to become comfortable. We've not been blessed so that, uh, that we can show off how much God loves us. We've been blessed so that we can bless others and change lives, transform lives. I love that with these international projects in particular, it, it, th these dollars that go into their uh, accounts literally change lives. And so later on this year, we will uh, report back on what they've done with the finances that we've given to them. Um, literally, um, once we hit uh, our base targets uh, that we need for all the different things, every extra dollar will go straight to these guys. We're not going to hoard them. We're not going to put them into our bank account. Uh, we're not going to save them up. We want us to go out and bless people. And so super excited about that. And we're in a series called Maximizing My Capacity. And over the last two weeks, we've been laying probably more a theological foundation for uh, how we maximize our, our capacities as people. In week one, we talk about the necessity of life, that we need to understand as Christians that we are not here randomly. You know, Beck and I, we drove in today, and she saw a bumper sticker, uh, <laughs> And she said, is that a turtle, mate? And I was like, no, that's not a turtle. It's the Darwin sticker. Do you know the, the, the fish, uh, the, the Jesus fish? But Darwin people, evolutionists, they, they put little legs on it, and then they put Darwin in it. People don't know what I'm talking about? Oh, my gosh. Which, which rocks... Which rocks have people been hiding under? But people have taken the symbol that used to be of Christianity or Jesus, and they've twisted it and made it about atheism. And now, you know what? I feel sad for people like that because, like, what does Darwin teach you about the purpose of life? 
You be stronger than everyone else. If not, you're going to get eaten up, trampled down, beaten down. I don't want that to be the purpose of my life. I don't want to have to look over my shoulder to see who's the fittest that is coming after me. I don't want to compete with my son, who will probably one day be fitter than me. I want to raise him up and I want to champion him because that's what life should be about. There should be a purpose and Christ gives us that purpose. Peter, not Peter, sorry. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, that even though it's better for me to be with Jesus, it is necessary that I remain here with you to grow you. And that is the exact purpose that every one of us have, whether we are on a pulpit or whether we are not having that kind of pulpit ministry. We should be raising people up around us. And that is why we need to maximize our capacity, because we have got this wonderful, wondrous, incomprehensible call that God would say, I want to partner with you. Despite your background, despite your hang-ups and your issues, God chooses to use you and me to impact the world. Our little church over here in Rivervale are going to impact hundreds, not thousands of people. I 100% believe that. Why? Because we have maximized our capacity to allow God to move. And then last week we spoke about... Sorry, I'm just, yep, just timing myself. And last week we spoke about how maximizing our capacity when we come into church isn't a a spiritual thing, but rather it's all about our body, soul, and spirit. We are whole people and we bring the whole of us to God. Not a little bit, not a segment of us, but all of us. Our bodies matter. Our soul matters as much as every other part of us. And so that's the foundation, all right? And so when I talk about things today, I'm going to go a little bit more practical because that's where we want to go to series. We want to give you handles on how to maximize your capacity. But if you need a bit of a rehash of those theological foundations, go into the last two weeks, that a podcast for that. Um, I'm going to say something really profound right now. Every single one of us has 168 hours a week. We do, right? You take 24 and you multiply that by 7 and we get 168 hours. 168 hours goes in, uh, that, that God has given to each and every single one of us every single week. We spend about 30% on sleep, most of us generally, seven to eight hours. That's what we should be getting. If you're getting less, unless you're some kind of outlier, uh, maybe you want to consider that, but we're supposed to spend about 30% sleeping. And if we work a normal 40-hour work week, that's another 24% that is taken up, all right? So work takes about 24% uh, of our week. And then, I'm kind of saying, and this is probably a little bit too low, but we maybe spend about an hour traveling to work uh, a day and also eating. You know, you need to stop for a meal, or maybe some of you don't. And so I kind of went, you know, what's fair? Maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half, two hours, maybe max. And so in terms of commuting to and from work as well as eating, takes up maybe about uh, 8% of our week. So that takes up 62% of our work, of our normal week, 62%. I was a little bit shocked by that. I thought it would take more. There is something called the rest, which maybe we call it my time, disposable time, or things that I can do, and that actually takes up about 
38% of your week. That adds up to 64 hours a week. You and I, assuming we work 40 hours a week, assuming we sleep seven to eight hours a day, assuming that we take about an hour a day traveling to places and eating, we each have 64 hours outside those standard things for us to choose how we use. Now, so I did a little bit of digging, and I did some sums for you, and out of that 64 hours, the standard Australian uses a full third of that on screen time. 21 and a half hours. So when we think that I have 64 hours to do something significant in my life, assuming that, you know, I hope that your work is also something that is significant and meaningful to you. I, I really do hope that. But on top of that, we have these 64 hours and the average Australian, average Australian, average Australian uses 21 and a half of those hours on screen time. That's watching movies, that's on social media, that's all of that. We have chosen to use... Um, 13% of our general week in front of a screen. And here's the clincher. Out of the normal average Australian, 68% says, that's too much screen time for me. Nearly 7 out of 10 people would say that I think I have got too much screen time. And on top of that, 55% of us Aussies do not get enough physical activity, and we probably acknowledge that. More than half of us think, uh, know that we are not doing enough physical activity. Seven out of ten of us think that's too much screen time. And so it, 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 it kind of puts this thought in my head, what is wrong with us? What is wrong? We know what is good for us, but we don't do it. We know that there are things that affect us, but yet somehow in the rhythms of our life, we are not somehow disciplined enough to make the changes in order to live a life where that 64 hours, I can say I was proud of the way that I used my 64 hours this week. And that is what I want to talk about today. Because uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, I don't think that Paul is necessarily saying to us that uh, God's going to judge you based on how well you use your time and what you have achieved, although I think somehow that is still a factor. And I think at the very least is a factor as to what kind of life you are living and whether you are living that necessary kind of life that we are supposed to be having. 
If we are given and entrusted with 168 hours every single week, if outside of the standard uh, uh, things that we need to, all as human beings have, we need to eat, sleep, uh, earn some money or study or whatever, then, then, then what are we doing with the rest of our time? What kind of rhythms have you put into place to ensure that those 64 hours are maximized every single week? And I hope that it's more than the 64 hours, but I understand that sometimes getting into a job that is super mean might be a bit difficult in our day and age, but let me just put forward to you first and foremost, we still get 64 hours. There are few jobs that make you work more than an average of 40 hours a week because that's frankly, I think in our Australian system is illegal. You shouldn't be working more than 40 hours a week. And, and why do you need to work more than 40 hours a week? Like why? What's the point of doing that? What, what, what is the drive behind that? What is the purpose behind that? If a dollar amounts go up and down, but our time remains the same. Once you use a minute, you've lost that minute. Once you use that minute, you're not going to get it back. Somehow with our money, we can spend it, but we can get it back. But with our time, once it's gone, it's gone. So we need to create rhythms that maximize our time. We need to deliberately invest ourselves in the things that truly matter. One author, Harriet Connor, she wrote this, and I love it so much. She says the ancient practices of Israel and the church were based on the assumption, get this, that the way we shape our time is actually forming and shaping us. Ooh. That's because our habits and rhythms of life train our heart to long for certain things and ideals. These things we strive toward gradually shape the people we become. When I was reading this, I was like, gosh, what kind of rhythms have I got? What kind of rhythms have I allowed myself to have? Because I choose these rhythms, whether consciously or subconsciously, whether deliberately or whether it's just simply by default. These rhythms are part of our lives. We all have rhythms. We all have rhythms. Whether those rhythms are comprehensible or not to us, we have rhythms, and those rhythms not only shape the things that we do, but it comes back and it shapes us. It is not only about what we achieve, but it's about who we are becoming. What you have in your schedules, what you do with your time speaks of the person you are and the person you are becoming. What you look at in your calendar, what you have filled your life up with speaks more about who you are as a person than the clothes that you wear than the certificates that you have achieved, more than the dollar amount in your bank account, your time tells me what I need to know about what I am doing. And I think we know this. I think at some level we understand that this is what's happening. And we know in Matthew 6.33 that Jesus tells us that we need to be seeking first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We know that our rhythms as Christians are meant to be tailored around what God is saying, that His principles, and once we get those things done, and let me just say this extremely practically, this is not how you feel about God, but this is about the time that you invest into His kingdom. 
I'm not saying that you should be here every second of every single day because I'm not even here every second of every single day. But I'm talking about the principles of God. How have they infused and speak into the rhythms of your life? Because if you are focusing on God, He is building you. He is growing you. He is maturing you. How have you built God, the God-focused activities? Don't tell me that you have a heart for God if you never read the Bible. Don't tell me you have a heart for God if you don't pray. Don't tell me you have a heart for God when the community of God, the bride of God, the local church is not something you value because that's what your time says. Imagine me as a husband never being around. I can say, I love Beck. It's like, you're never around. I love you, Beck, but you're never around. I just read this extremely sad memoir. It was written by uh, uh, Lisa Brennan Jobs, who is um, uh, the daughter of Steve Jobs. I just randomly got this book. I read it, and it broke my heart. Steve Jobs had this daughter that he, uh, 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 out of wedlock, and um, he basically wasn't around for most of it. For for most of the first uh, few years, he was in and out, in and out. And it was on his deathbed as he was dying from cancer. He calls Lisa and says, can you spend a weekend with me? And he spent a whole weekend crying out of regret, saying, I was never there. I wasn't there. And you know, when I was reading this book, Lisa's writing, I don't need those nice things that he has. I just wanted him to be there. She literally wrote in one portion, she lived with him after uh, she turned 14, and she was in this bedroom that was close to his study, and he would need to pass her room to go upstairs to his own bedroom, and every single night he would not say goodnight. But she still waited when she heard the study room light turn off, and she waited and said, I just wanted him to poke his head round to create this rhythm of saying, I see you and I value you. Why is it sometimes that we wait for something significant for us to go, what kind of rhythms have I created? Why do we wait for death to knock at our door before we look and we go, what have I done? But seek first His kingdom. See, the Israelites had a rhythm They went to the temple all the time. They had all these community events. They had six festivals a year that was targeted at bringing the people together and focusing on God. We've lost a lot of these rhythms. Let me read a particular daily rhythm that God wanted them to have. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, this was God speaking to them about entering the promised land. And this is what he said that you need to be doing. He said, hear Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Let me just say, when we hear Lord, sometimes we just say, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Have you heard those people that pray? It's like, dear Lord God, Lord God, I need to pray with you, Lord God. It's like, Lord God has become a, is like the, the nickname of God. But the word Lord actually means master. So here, Israel, the Lord, the one who rules over you, this is who we're talking about. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So Moses tells the people, you want to go well with God, you need to have his commands in your heart. 
And for us, when I think about it, I think I, I need to want to love God, right? That's what it means to have the commands of my heart. I need to want God. I need to desire God. But that's not what it says. It says today, the, the words that shall be on your heart, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, saying that this is a rhythm that you must have within your households. This is how you do your life. It doesn't talk about emotions. It talks about the literal things you do. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be a frontlets. I don't know what they are. Between the eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is Moses saying? There is a daily rhythm. The moment I wake up, I think about God. When I sit down with my family and I have a meal, I talk about God. When I'm driving to work, I think about God. When I come home, there is on my doorpost, the Lord is my God. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, how did my day go? What kind of ways have you built rhythms so that you remember God in your everyday life? Because if we don't have these rhythms, what do we have? And I was thinking about this. I was saying, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with people? We spend 21 and a half hours on, in front of a screen and we go, I don't like that. Then what do we do? We sit in front of the telly. I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, why? Oh my gosh, this is too much. I shouldn't be doing this. What is wrong with us? Well, I heard something about why we do that, and it rocked me, and it's, um, it's a bit scary. As I was doing my research, a number of authors wrote this. It's because we choose to use our time subjectively rather than objectively. You see, what's going on in our world today is that we've increased in our value of the individual and how we feel. Those are things that are Pre, like preeminent in our, in our culture, in our world. How I feel is what matters. If the commands of the Lord is on my heart, then I should want to obey Him. But right now, I don't really feel like obeying Him. That means that His commands are not really on my heart. And if it's not on my heart, maybe God didn't write it there. And so we sit down in front of our telly and we wonder where our lives have gone. Because right now, I just feel like I need a little bit of time. I just feel like I need to do this. I just feel like this is what's going on. See, the word subjective is all about the individual. It's about how I see the world through my lens. It's not objective. Objective is something that is separate to myself. If I stand outside of myself, if I understand the principles for life outside of myself, how would I understand my life? That's what objectiveness is about. And one author writes this. He says, what you and I need is objective truth that intervenes in our lives, that cuts through our subjectivity repeatedly. Let me read that again. What you and I need is objective truth that intervenes in our lives, that cuts through our subjectivity repeatedly. What does this mean? It means that sometimes we are so caught up with our self-talk that we need something outside of ourselves to slap us in the face and say, what are you doing? I recently just read this book, and it's called uh, um, uh, Social Sanity in an Insta World. And I read it because uh, I wanted to understand some principles and practices around uh, using social media. 
And every single one of these orders, it was a collaboration, every single one of them, about six or seven of them, all delete social media off their phone every single week. They get their spouses uh, to, to, to log on for them, so they get half an hour each, like a day or two days a week. That's what they do, because they objectively looked at this, and I love this, they said, what's your mission statement for being on social media? How are you deliberately doing this? And I looked at that and I went, M -m -m mission statement? <laughs> Nate wants to enjoy himself. <laughs> Nate needs some downtime. Nate needs to just clock off from his own world and to immerse himself in someone else's world. What mission statement? And they said, shouldn't everything be for God's glory? And I was like, oh gosh. <gasps> now, not everyone's on social media all the time. That was the average kind of thing. But what's that thing that takes up your time? What? Does it glorify God? Let, 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 your, let your eating and waking, let your, your sleeping and your going about life, let everything bring glory to God, including every single one of those 64 hours. Now, um, next week, I think, we're going to talk about rest because God talks about rest, and we need to talk about the rhythms of rest and that's important. I'm not saying that you're not allowed rest, but what I'm saying is I had this objective truth in the form of a book, and these authors, these God-fearing people, they wrote about social media, and I literally went, I am not subjectively choosing the right things. So I need objective rhythms. And so we need to create objective rhythms. We need to look at our lives apart from how we freaking feel in the moment. And we need to put these rhythms in before we feel those things. Before, not when. Because our feelings are always skewed. You know when you see a sweet that you know you shouldn't have, the more you look at it, what do you think? I really shouldn't. This is not good for me. But we keep our eyes on it because we don't have plan B. I was having my day off and I went to the patisserie and I saw that thing and it stared at me and it told me that it loved me. And what do we do? We buy the thing, we stuff it into our bodies and we go, what did I do? And say, well, I pleased myself. That's what you did. So before we hit those places and those spaces, before we hit our free time, let's decide what this time should be used for. If you say that you want to know more about God, invest that time into God. If you say you want to love your family better, think about what it means to spend time with your family. I'm not meaning that you have to be all in all the time, but when you look at that 64 hours, I think maybe at least eight is all right for Sam to get off my life. Per week. I think that Beck deserves more than 1% of my week. I think God deserves more than 1% of your week. So what rhythms are you creating? Our church meets about 50 to 51 times a year on a Sunday. We break because no one wants to be here for New Year's. <laughs> I do, but then none of you do. No, I'm joking. I don't want to be here. I want a week off. So we're 50, 51 times. Sometimes we fall sick. We can't help that. If that's 10%, that's five times a year. 
45 times left. And that's two hours on a Sunday morning. If you surf, maybe three and a half, four hours. Every single time I miss, I'm dropping another percentage point, more than 1%. I haven't done the calculations. I just felt to really just put this in front of you. Every Sunday you miss, you're taking out time from investing into other people in your church, investing in relationships. But I don't know people when I go to church because you're never here, mate. How are you supposed to build relationships? How did Steve Jobs and Lisa Brennan Jobs have a terrible relationship? Because there was no time. They lived in the same house, but there wasn't no time. You can turn up on a Sunday and you can run off and not speak to any person. That's adorable. You get the choice to do that. But don't you complain that you have lousy relationships because no one got to speak to you. No one understand that maybe there are things you have to do, but then there are 64 hours a day, a week, to build into healthy relationships. If you want healthy relationships, what's that rhythm that you want to put in? Think about it. So this is my first point. Oh, gosh. It's a very late point in the morning to bring the first point, but you've got to watch. You've got to watch your percentages. To build objectivity into your life, watch your percentages. Watch it. Why? Because a percentage tells you more objectively about your investment than the actual dollar amount. See, when Jesus sat in the temple one time and he saw a number of people giving into the offering box, there were these rich people and they, they, their money made a lot of noise in that offering box and people were going, wow. And then this little lady, right, this widow comes and she puts a couple of mites into the thing. It barely makes a sound and Jesus says that woman has given more. Why? Because it's the percentage that matters, not the amount. And this is something else that I was reading up that really struck me. This person writes that it is less about the heroic shows of whatever than the consistent everyday stuff. You know, I've known people that go, I love God because I've done this, but what have you done about the rest of your life? So you come in and you, you do something heroic and you go, man, I've made such an effort there, but don't ask me about my everyday life. No, no, God's not looking for that. So it's better to obey than to sacrifice. That's what God says. And so what are the rhythms that you create that you go, God, you are number one. If I looked at your schedule today, would I know that God is your number one? Or would I go, no, 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 God is maybe number th three to four. I'm not talking about... And percentages can, 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 can be off. And his heart maybe... But when I look at it, do, do, when you look at your life, are you going, I, I, I'm really happy with what I've invested into my time with God. And can I say, time with this community is as important as it is just one-on-one -on -one with God. When Jesus tells the parable of the final day and he says, uh, um, come, to, come into my rest, he says to the sheep, come into my rest, he said, uh, because you have fed me and clothed me and loved me. And, and the sheep go, how did I do that? Because I, I didn't, you did that to other people. You spent time with the community that I loved. And you served other people that I loved. We, we can't get away from this, people. I can't get away from this. At the start of this year, I thought I was going to do something really, really smart. 
I thought I was going to read the Bible in a, in a month, and I did, cover to cover. In one month, 31 days, I read through Genesis all the way to Revelation, and I thought that doing that would free up more time through the rest of the year. <laughs> I got to July, and I go, I'm dry. I don't think I've been this dry for a little while. And I evaluated, and I went, I didn't give more time to God. I shoved it all into January, and then by July, I was dry. And some of us are living dry, but not understanding why. Maybe look at your rhythms and the last time you connected with life-giving people. You connected into a life-giving space. You were doing things that brought joy to God's heart. Rhythms are necessary. Rhythms need to be built on percentages that make sense objectively. And when we build those things, this is the hard thing. It's really easy to put a percentage when you don't have to put it in your calendar. I want to spend 10% of my week in study with God. Yes, that sounds right. That's amazing. When? How? Is it in your calendar? Are you actually going to do it? No? Well, that's not called a rhythm. That's called a fantasy. You know, I've heard from couples that are breaking up, I, I, I'm going to do more. When? How? You've never done it before. See, this is part of the thing about maximizing your capacity. When we get into a capacity that is bigger than us, it doesn't feel good. It feels weird. Because we're living at a place that requires us to actually be a little bit different. And so that difference needs us to actually act different to how we are, who we are currently. And that's why the subjective person in us goes, that's not me. Yes, it's not you, because you haven't built those muscles yet. One of the things I've learned through fatherhood is that God hasn't inbuilt disciplines into a child's life. A child is completely based on desires and needs that they feel. And for the first 18 months, it's actually okay because they know, they, they feel the physical sensations. I'm hungry, I'm wet, I'm tired, I, 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 I'm overstimulated, whatever. And they cry and you seek to help them. But when the emotions kick in, and when the desires kick into these little lives, they still use the old ways of living, still crying. Sam's learned how to fake cry. That's not a real one, buddy. You want something, you don't need it. Some of us are still so immature that we still use that kind of tactic with God. When we grow up, we start to realize, no, no, this is a responsibility that I build into my life. We sing that song, I will build my life upon your love. How? Show me your calendar. Show me your bank account. Show me your resources and where they're going. No, no, right now, I feel it. I love it, Jesus. You go home and your mother-in-law ticks you off. And you're not building yourself on God. I don't know why I use that example. <laughs> totally sorry for all the mums-in-laws. Sorry, I've been a bit all over the place at this point. But I hope that you catch. If you, this week, were to take some time to check the rhythms of your life, what would it show? If you were to ask God, how much time should I spend on this? Because it's the everyday disciplines. And look, I understand that one week is not everything. 
you look at your weekly schedules, you look at your uh, uh, monthly schedules, you look at your maybe two to three month schedules, and you look at your annual schedules. You look at all those different kinds of schedules. We don't celebrate Christmas every single week. We don't celebrate Easter every single week. They're once a year things, and that's okay. That's the rhythm that God has put into place. But when we look at those rhythms over the course of the whole year, what does it speak about? How do we understand ourselves and we go, is that okay? Recently, because I realized that I wasn't putting more time into reading the Word, what did I do? I woke up 20 minutes, 20 minutes earlier to start reading the Word. Now my tank is half full. But it's building because I put in a rhythm that allows me to grow. What are your rhythms? What does your rhythm say about your life? Don't say you love God if you don't have time for Him. Can I take a step and say, don't say you love the church if you don't have time for it. This is God's bride. And I don't mean to say this in a way that is condemning in any way, shape, or form. But we need to cut through the subjectivity of our day and our age that tells us that we go according to how we feel. We set up 12 hours mainly for the purpose of giving a convenient time for people to rock up and pray yesterday. We had 10 people rock up. Church of about 60. And look, that's not all that it is. And I'm not trying to say that that's all it is. But we do these things every now and then to get you into the room. If you say, I don't know how to pray, why weren't you there yesterday? If you don't invest in it, you're never going to learn it. I'm reading this book, last thought, I'm reading this book called Grit, and I'm a bit slow to it because it's an award winner about six years ago. And this lady wrote that talent is overrated, discipline is underrated. When we see someone doing something magnificent, when you see me playing the piano, you're going like, wow, Nay, you're so gifted. You know, when I was younger, I would actually hit back at people that say I was gifted. You know why? Because you didn't see the hours of work that I put into this thing. God didn't just naturally gift me. I worked damn hard at this thing. I worked hard, man. He said, well, but Ned, you're more gifted than me. He's like, no, I work harder than you. And this is what the whole premise of that book, Grit, is all about. That the people that work harder often go further than those who are talented. The people who know how to pray is because they have prayed. The people who love the word of the Lord is because they've read the word of the Lord. Even when they didn't want to. The ones who love the church, are the, the ones who have healthy marriages are the ones that have put in the time into those marriages. It wasn't natural. It wasn't some kind of romantic thing that brought two people together. I've seen the most opposite people and they come together and they work on their marriage and they're the most beautiful marriage. I've seen people that seem compatible but they don't work in it and it breaks down. The same it is with God. It's about our perseverance and our discipline. So I will beat my body in order that I will live out the things of God. I will run this race. And when I finish, I hope to God that I'll be able to say truthfully when I am being judged, I have run the race. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And you can see that. In my disciplines, I can show you. I can show you. And this is a challenge to me. This year, God's given us this building that is three times the size that our church needs. 
He's showing us as a church where we should be. And it's going to take us discipline to fill the space and to maximize its capacity. I'm inviting you on a journey of maximizing our capacity. I'm inviting you on a journey to consider what are the rhythms that will help God's kingdom, the most purposeful thing in your life, grow. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying don't love your family, don't have meals. No, no, no. That's all included in the rhythms. How do you live in a way that brings glory to God? If it means quitting your job, do it. If it means changing things around so that God is glorified, do it. The disciplines take rhythms, establishing rhythms. I've gone way over my time because I, I'm just going to pray and close because I don't think that today is about feeling. I'm going to leave this place quiet for you to consider the rhythms that you have, the rhythms you have established and if it is not the right rhythm, change it. But if it's the right rhythm, persevere with it. Run with it. Run. Keep going. Even when you don't feel like it. I'm going to pray and we're going to close. Dear Jesus, I thank you that every part of us matters to you. And I pray that in our lives, every part of us shows that you matter. I pray with our time and our finances, I pray you speak right now. I pray you help us realize and understand that God, that there are things that we can shift because we each have 168 hours a week that you have gifted to us to steward. I pray you show us how we use that. I pray that this is not about condemnation, but rather this is actually about freedom. I pray that as we put you first, as we seek you first, everything is being added. Everything is being added. Everything we ever need, every anxiety fades, every depression lifts, because God, when we build our lives on you, everything else comes into place. I pray that you help us, God. I pray that we become the community that is able to to make full use of this space. I, I, God, I pray for the people that are coming in. I pray that we will be a worthy family for them, God. I pray that, God, that we will love them with an extreme love. I pray that we will help people to encounter you through our lives. But God, first and foremost, I pray that the center of us is you. I pray that when we serve people, what people will see is your love in us that is awake, that is alive, that is moving, God. And I pray it is in your name. Amen. It's like I said, I think we'll just finish off there. Spend some time, think about things. And when you're ready, head to the foyer, have a chat with someone. Maybe you need to talk to someone about holding you accountable to a rhythm that actually glorifies God. And if that's the case, do it. Action it. Do something today that will speak into your future. Do something today that will speak into all that God is doing. Love you, church. I know I got a little bit up, not upset. I wasn't upset. I was just passionate. And that's because I love you and I want to see you thrive. I want to see your capacity maxed out for the things of God. Thank you so much, church. Jesse, we just kind of keep things quiet. And um, 
when you're ready, head over to the foyer. Once most people have gone, we'll have some fun music. But other than that... We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.